Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. My name is Chris Uddleston. And today we are very excited to be talking to you about not one but two thrilling films that collectively hit the theaters as Grindhouse. From the directors of Reservoir Dogs, Desperado, Pulp Fiction, From Dusk Till Dawn, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Kill Bill, and Sin City, Tarantino and Rodriguez are back. Only this time, they're back to back with a double feature that'll tear you in two. First, I got bit. Bit by what? If I told you, you probably wouldn't believe me. Robert Rodriguez, Planet Terror. Made you something. Open that door, will you, baby? Plus, fair lady, your chariot awaits. Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. Do I frighten you? Is it my scar? Barred feature length motion pictures for the price of one. Planet Terror and Death Proof. Only at the Grind House. Now, um, Instead of a synopsis, this is a little bit of a special case. Chris, you've got uh, something different for us. Yeah, so what I thought I would do, since this is a little bit kind of a different film. So I saw this in the theater when it was released in 2007, I think it was. And this was a, a joint venture between Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. And they wanted to recreate uh, this grindhouse idea that... Um, hadn't existed really since, until the, since the 1970s. So the basically grindhouse theaters, and I think these were big in, particularly in New York City, like around Times Square, back way back then when it was seedy. And they would just get these schlocky um, genre films and just run them over and over and over. They would just grind through them, I guess. And that's where the term grindhouse came from. So they wanted to try to recreate this themselves. And so Robert Rodriguez did a film um, called Planet Terror. And then in the middle, they had, uh, I guess it was four trailers uh, created by other directors that fake trailers for movies that, that didn't exist um, that were done by some of their friends. And we'll get into that later. And then the second film is called Death Proof and... Um, that was directed by Quentin Tarantino. So um, I thought what we would do is just start by talking about Planet Terror, which you you hadn't seen any of this stuff, right? No. Okay, and then we can talk as we get into it. We can talk about the character, the actors, and and all of that. So sure. So let's start with your reaction to Planet Terror. Well, so um, just a tiny bit of backstory uh, and setup. So if you've, if you've not uh, listened to our podcast before, we do spoil these films. We talk all about them. Um, so, you know, if you don't want to hear that, then sorry. Um, but we, we, we last episode we did, uh, Robert Rodriguez's um, 
the faculty. Mm-hmm. And I really, really enjoyed that. I had a great time watching that movie. And that and then that spurred you to say, oh, have you ever seen Grindhouse? And I said, no. I mean, I was aware of it, but I hadn't seen it. So that's what led us to here. So, um, you know, both I think both of these directors and we'll we'll stick with Robert Rodriguez film first um both of these directors um approached you know it's sort of an homage it's sort of a they're each a kind of a love letter to the genre um i think that robert rodriguez's planet terror um is a lot of fun in many of the same ways it's um it's certainly more off the chain. I think that one of the things that really impressed me about the faculty was how, what I said in that episode was it. It's it really felt like that film got to have its cake and eat it too because it was this sort of formulaic, um, high school horror film, but it also managed to hit all of those marks in really fun and really surprising really fresh feeling ways so mm-hmm. this sort of relatively stale formulaic model plus all of this new life that he breathed into it um in ways that i i mean i can't think of a better way it was just fun it, he, it was like he was having a lot of fun the, the cast was having a lot of fun so i think that planet terror is likewise a lot of fun it's definitely grosser as mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a it's a chemical zombie flick right so there's a sort of a green gas that turns people into these kind of bloated pussy zombie monsters they're not mindless some of them seem to be mindless some of them aren't mindless it's a little all over the place that's not the point <laughs> the point mm-hmm. is kind of splat <laughs> there's a there's a character running through it that owns a texas barbecue place and he's always like dipping his finger in the sauce he's working on. And so, you know, there's literal barbecue sauce all over this film, as well as like people's bodies and heads are exploding. And it's like splattering, meta, you know, like ectoplasm mm. and metaphoric barbecue sauce everywhere. And I thought that was really neat. Um, you know, and uh, there's a... <laughs> It's uh, it's bonkers. It, it, Rose McGowan is a uh, go-go dancer that we meet in the beginning. The whole title sequence is her doing, you know, a very sexy go-go dance on a pole. And uh, early on in the movie, some of these critters like attack her and just bite her leg off. She loses mm-hmm. a leg. And uh, the first sort of prosthetic she gets is she reunites with an old flame and it's just this sort of red wooden table leg. Mm -hmm. So she goes kind of hobbling around on this one is a, one leg is, is clad in a thigh high, you know, uh, sort of go-go dancers boot with this stiletto heel. And the other is this, you know, candy apple red table leg. (laughs) And my favorite part with this, so she uses that as a weapon. I mean, everything that you could imagine that you could do with this table leg pretty much happens. Um, there is a there's a there's a really fun bit where she and her uh, former boyfriend kind of rekindle their passion, and it's a love scene that we get through the foreplay of 
And then as more or less, as soon as she's fully naked, things get, you know, metaphorically and literally too hot and the film melts. Yeah. <laughs> it's real missing. Yeah. Oh, uh, we, uh, management apologizes for this inconvenience and then it cuts to what's <laughs> supposedly the next reel and the whole place is on fire and like, I just yeah. thought that was so funny that they cut <laughs> from the sex. He was like, oh, we don't need to worry how we get here. The next exciting thing that happens is this, and we'll just make it look like the real, you know. Yeah. But to get back to the table leg, so as they're sort of beginning to canoodle and he's, tr you know, trying to get her clothes off, um, you know, there's a scene where there's a shot where she sort of is is lying back and he's sort of, you know, moving in to kiss her, you know, and we see in the foreground, we see her good leg, you know, she bends her knee and sort of is wrapping her legs around the background. You see this red table leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was so funny. I had to go back and watch that part a second time just for that. Just because it's such a, it's such a sort of, you know, it's a, such a sexy scene. And then mm -hmm. there's that table leg coming up in the air in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Tarantino is in this. Tarantino has himself in both films, which is the mm -hmm. thing he likes to do. Bruce Willis is in it. You know, uh, I will stick with this film, but uh, the, there was a, more or less the same cast or there's a large <laughs> central cast in, that were in both movies, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't, did they shoot them at the same time? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I, I kind of going back just from memory of the time, I think maybe, but I'm not sure. So anyway, I think that of the two of them, Planet Terror is the more, um, just pure unadulterated fun. It doesn't hold itself to too much logic mm -hmm. and there, it has a lot of fun with kind of, you know, the stupid one-liners um, mm -hmm. and a lot of splatter and a lot of, you know, um, skin sloughing off. And there's a there's one character that has a bunch of these hypodermic needles that is also jabbing with needles yeah. and sort of pussy things exploding. And I, I don't really like gross, but it's it's a little Sam Raimi gross. I mean, it's yeah. a little kind of fun gross. Uh, yeah. And... You know, the point is just this kind of roller coaster ride of like, how do we get to the next, you know, kersplat scene? And I think it just, it races right along. I never felt bored by it. I never felt like it was dragging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it got to the point, it's like, oh, how do we get out of the love scene? It's like, oh, we'll melt the <laughs> film and we'll just go to the next. <laughs> it's funny because he really highlights that. The the next the, it, what it cuts to when they start the next reel is the whole place is on fire. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, oh, we missed uh, some some pretty exciting stuff, I guess. Yeah, they do all this the scratchy, you know, yeah, uh, stuff with the film and all that, which I feel like has been used a ton since then. But it sure back then, you know, it felt kind of fresh. Not to let the cat out of the bag with you know since we're going to talk about the the next film in depth more but i i feel like uh all oh, the thing that you see like on tiktok now um i understood the assignment or he understood the assignment i feel like 
Rodriguez understood the assignment more than what Quentin Tarantino did in that. I'm not saying he didn't understand what he was doing, but uh, death proof is a better film just as far as being a, like a more quality film, I would say, but I think it misses the point a little bit because what they were basing all of this on was films that were bad. You know, you, you have two like A-list directors and A-list actors doing all of this. And that's not what the Grindhouse movies were. They were cheap, mm. you know, they were cheap, low budget, schlocky movies. And I think this one is, you know, I would just say to me personally that I think the death proof is a is a better movie as far as just being a quality production and this one is more fun does that make sense yeah i i i yeah i mean you're doing robert rodriguez is is making a purposely bad movie and that's not to say that it's bad i mean but it's it's it, it's it's trying to be you know it's like almost like trying to make a cult film yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I would. I thought of it slightly differently. I, I think not that, not necessarily that Rodriguez understood the assignment better, but that both directors had a sort of different interpretation of the assignment. Yeah, that's probably and, a better way. Because uh, I mean, Tarantino knows these movies inside and out, so it's not that he yeah. doesn't know. And what the spirit of them was or whatever. But I, I just feel like Rodriguez meant went more for, oh, these are supposed to be dumb, you know, uh, cheesy, schlocky, gory movies, you know? Yeah. I, I think in some ways, in some ways, uh, death proof. Like if you actually go back and watch some of these old seventies movies, um, Sure, some of the quote unquote thrilling stuff um is really pulse quickening. It's either mm -hmm. gross or sexy or gory or terrifying or upsetting or some combination of all of that. But for the most part, my, my and I haven't gone back, I'm not a scholar on this, but for the most part, I think those movies are pretty boring, right? The acting is not great. There's a lot of useless dialogue. It feels like mostly filler with a couple of scenes where the guy's chasing the girl with a knife or something. And then you think, ah, you know, but the rest of the movie is people like driving around in cars and talking and, you know, going in and out of quickie marts. Right. And I think in some ways Tarantino's film kind of captures that. Yeah, I that's mean, a good point. Rodriguez's movie is very much his style and Tarantino's movie is very much his style. Tarantino's movie is kind of two parts. There's a sort of a part a where we establish that there's this sort of psychopathic stunt man driving around who, you know, is driven to kill pretty young women with his car. Right. That's his thing. And then he, and he succeeds and sort of gets away with it. And then the part B is he's gone to another state and he's found another car full of pretty young vict female victims, and he's messing with them. He's going to do it again, right? And spoiler alert, here we go. They get, you know, he doesn't get them, they get him, 
Mm -hmm. then that's the end of the movie. And the bulk of the movie is this kind of classic Tarantino dialogue. It's just where, all dialogue. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the the vast majority of this movie is this. So in the in the first one, is it three or four? Three women in a car? Yeah, I think so. And then and then the part B is three women, three different women in the car, and they're driving around. They're talking about girl stuff. They're talking about their boyfriends. They're talking about sex. They're talking about you know everything. The kind of lipstick they like, whatever. And it is. And in the movie is full of Tarant of like these great deep cut old musical tracks, mm -hmm. and Tarantino's in that one too. Um, and so it, it really just felt like both directors used this uh, as a playground to be like, oh, all right, I know the I know what I want to make. I want to make um, a splatty, you know, zombie, you know. Um, squishy horror flick, you know, mm -hmm. horror action. Well, so eventually she she ends up killing. Actually, it's Tarantino she kills by she gets him in the she stabs him with the leg and then it breaks off and she stabs it through his eye. Right, so she gets mm -hmm. him a couple of times with this thing, but um, it it breaks the table leg. So her her boyfriend has rigged up. The, like a heavy, big, heavy machine gun, kind of rocket launcher type thing that he has attached to her leg. So now she's got a gun for a leg and he makes, he has great fun with that. Yeah. It's, there's all of this kind of come full circle where it's like they plant a thing and then it comes back around and, Oh, there's no dumb, dumb skill. Number 25. She's always saying is, no, there's no such thing as dumb skill. It always has a use. So it, it culminates with her doing a kind of a, a dance like a, that's reminiscent of her go-go dancing. But as she's swinging her leg around, she's shooting yeah. bad guys. And it's just, it's just so, I mean, it's simple, but it just brings all of this corny stuff back around in a way that you realize why there are formulas in Hollywood because the formula is a formula for audience satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And I'm not defending it. I think when you see something that feels formulaic, you're seeing the formula and not feeling the ride it's trying to take you on. You feel like you're just being manipulated by this formula. Right. Um, but that is not the same thing as saying that the formula doesn't, you know, the formula is created because people have like, why do people like this or that? You know, here's, here's the formula for that. Um, and, and so I think what I love about this movie, like the other one that Rodriguez did that we watched is that you both see the formula and enjoy the formula. Mm -hmm. Right. You see that it's this kind of manipulation, but it lets you in on it so that you get to have fun, too. Right. And with Tarantino. I think. You know, he's talked about being this guy that worked at a video store and just fell in love with movies of all these genres and went from being an adorer of these films to making, you know, these homage, all of his films in some ways have these homage elements to mm. these other films that he loves. And 
Death Proof is very much a Tarantino movie. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of yeah. snappy dialogue. It's a lot of music. Um, but it is also an homage to those those movies in its own way. Is that in the first one when um what is the dude's name? Why am I spacing on his name? Um are you, are you thinking about um uh, the killer, the stuntman Mike. Oh Jesus! How do I uh, forget? He's one of my favorite actors. Yeah, How uh, do I forget his name? Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Uh, you know, I'm not used to seeing Kurt Russell in a villainous role. He's yeah. typically the hero, even he's if he's kind really of really good as a villain. Uh, but he is super charming, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and when he finally kills these, this first car full of young women, it is really something. I mean, it is. What did you think of that car crash? I mean. It's crazy. I'm never going to forget it. Um, mm -hmm. he, they show it three times, right? Mm -hmm. So what he basically does is he, he's he got a car that has been rigged up for stunts in such a way that if you're in the driver's seat, it's all reinforced. That's where the title Death Proof comes from. Yeah. Like this car Excuse is Death me. Proof. And he's got another young woman from the bar that he says he's going to give a ride home. And he's got her in the passenger seat, which is not death proof. And he, you know, it's like if there's going to be a camera in there for a stunt or something is how he explains it to her. But he basically bounces her around inside the car mm -hmm. until it sort of, you know, I guess bashes her head in or something basically from so much impact. But so he's got this victim number one in the car and then he has his lights off and he drives at top speed head on into the car full of other women mm -hmm. and it shows it three times so it it shows the collision and then it shows the collision and then it shows the collision and each time it focuses on what happens to each of the three women so that's where you really get the exploitation factor of course right. There's a bunch of like shots that with a camera just languishes over their legs and their butts mm -hmm. and their hair. And I mean, they're, they are, um, you know, they're objectified in ways that the sort of exploitation genre would expect you to, right, to do. Um, it doesn't feel, um, That didn't feel gross to me. I mean, I feel like Tarantino seems like a director um, that at his core really does like strong female actors. Like he really, yeah. he loves beautiful women for sure. And I think he's got a thing for feet. <laughs> well, but, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. I think he's admitted that or. Yeah. But, uh, but he does, you know, Rosario Dawson and the, the actors that he casts are um uh the actors that he casts are strong characters and uh strong yeah they're just strong women on screen so mm -hmm. i think that takes the curse off of the exploitation element of it a little bit you know they are beautiful mm -hmm. and sexy and they're you know in one scene there's a lap dance that happens that's just it's all gratuitous mm -hmm. um the violence in that first death is really shocking and in the second one we've got a woman who must be a stunt woman herself she is, yeah. 
because she's hanging on the hood of the car, like showing off or whatever. And they have some fun with that. And then he's the actual actor. She started out as a stunt woman and that then got, became an sense. actor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He doesn't manage to uh, throw her off or kill any of them. And then they kind of turn the tables on him and end up beating him to death. Really? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they smash up his car and then that's just the end of the movie. But, I I forget where I was going with all of that, but um, yeah, I I guess the big picture is that I don't I don't think that one was better than the other. I think that the first no, one, I don't either. Planet Terror was was a lot of fun in the ways that mm. it was a lot of fun. I didn't think Death Proof was felt like a lot of fun. No, but there is a you know it's very much Tarantino's artistry. Right work. And I had the thought, you know, if you don't like Tarantino's work, you're going to hate this movie because <laughs> this it's it's really nothing but that. And it's interesting because I know people who like a lot of other Tarantino films who watched this and hated it. Yeah. Like they just they were just like I was bored and couldn't, you know, couldn't get through it. There's just so much dialogue, you know. Um, and I don't, I don't know that, I mean, all of his movies have, have a lot of dialogue in that. So I don't, uh, yeah, I don't exactly know why that, but it, it, and, and I think I said this last week when we were, when we said that they were, that we were going to do this, there's a lot of people I think that, uh, you know, kind of view this as lesser Tarantino, you know, I, you know, maybe, and I'm not necessarily going to argue against that um i think it i think if you use the entertainment litmus test you know that that yeah some of those scenes again the bulk of the movie is this these three women or those three women driving around in their car listening to tunes talking I guess it and depends they, on how much you like them as well, you know. Yeah, and I I did. I thought they were all likable. Um, but that it really isn't the point. It's maybe in the seventies, you know, you'd come in off at a Times Square and you'd sit down and you would be cool watching these three pretty women talk about stuff that you don't in ways that you don't, frankly, and sexy stuff. And it was a cheap way to shoot a longer movie than actually having to stage stunts, right? But now watching that, it's kind of a pacing thing. I mean, I think we're not used to watching a movie where the bulk of it is, the dialogue has no surface meaning, right? The dialogue mm -hmm. doesn't justify their deaths or explain why he's doing it. It's just establishing, it just makes us care about the women and feel like, but, but it goes on way longer than I think is necessary to achieve that. Mm -hmm. So it, I guess in that sense, it starts to feel a little bit masturbatory on the surface of he's like, Oh, I write, don't I write such great dialogue? And I mean, that's one thing you definitely can't deny about uh, Tarantino is he likes, he loves his own dialogue. Yes. You know? And there's so much of it. I think that it's 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 terrific dialogue, and the fault of it is that he puts so much of it in that it's you just start to hear him, 
like all mm. three of these women in this car start to sound like Tarantino. Yeah. You know, and you're like, okay, so maybe you need a red pencil, buddy. Yeah. Or not. I mean, I think he thinks it sounds great. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I think they were each, you know, executive producers on this. So I don't think there was anybody to say like, Hey, right. You know, I mean, I think the assignment was each, each director said, I'm going to make my own love letter to this. And they looked at each other's well, Oh, great, great, great. Oh yeah. That's great. 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 And they didn't get in each other's way. Yeah. And this is what, you know, one thing what... that, uh, there was something that you said, uh, at some point there and I forgot exactly what you said but it but it got me to thinking about something that I hadn't really thought about with these movies particularly with Planet Terror that again plays into the fact that you had A-list directors who were working with you know a pretty significant budget that these movies that they're paying homage to did not have and one of the things with that and and i'm i'm sure they were aware of this and thought about this was those oh i remember what it was that you said when you were talking about how a lot of these when you go and watch a lot of these old movies they're boring um and we've seen this with some of the things that we've other movies that we've watched on the podcast where you watch a trailer and like you know it's a bad movie but you watch a trailer and you're like oh that's going to be so terrible it's going to be so much fun and it's just terrible boring you know yeah. and i think what is cool about this is so with those grindhouse movies you know they were selling them based on the poster probably first and foremost and there were you know a 70s planet terror might have had a woman on the on the poster with a machine gun for a leg and then that's never actually in the movie that's just to get you know right. get you in the seat right. and then robert rodriguez actually has a woman with you know cuz he had the ability the you know the the right. the budget and the special effects people and everything to do it you know well, that's and, so smart it's sort of like he made the movie that he wished these things had delivered yeah Right. When you saw when I was a kid and I saw these posters, like this is the movie that played in my mind when I saw those posters. Yeah. And exactly. that's a great putting your finger on it. And and, you know, these when they were making these movies that, you know, there was no video, you know, no home video. And in these really bad movies, you know, they weren't making it to TV. So, like I say, they were just they made the posters kind of as salacious and exciting as they could or the trailers, you know, they cobbled together the exciting parts of the movie and put them in a trailer to get people in there. And they didn't care whether people liked it or not, or, you know, there wasn't necessarily going to be a sequel or anything like that. It's, it's, um, I, I, I read something recently that with, uh, a lot of the, the movies that Italians were making at this time, the same thing, you know, the schlocky movies and everything. And they said, there would sometimes, maybe even if they did a sequel or uh, something like that, there would be continuity issues between, you know, one film and the next because people weren't, you know, people would watch the movie once and then they'd go and see the next movie and they weren't, you know, they weren't at home rewinding and fast forwarding and watching it over and over again. So if something wasn't exactly right, you know, from they one to the next, nobody cared. You know, they weren't paying and, attention in the same ways, right? 
And with the Italian films, and I'm sure this happened in America some too, they, I thought this was really interesting that back then they said people would go to the movies all the time because in the summer, um, a lot of the homes and the apartments in Italy didn't have air conditioning. So the people would just go just to have a cool place to go. And, and, you know, hopefully they were entertained, but they didn't really, you know, the audience didn't care if these movies were amazing either. So, yeah, I think that's really great that you brought up that I'm sure they were like, this is what I always wanted. You know, this is what I dreamed of it being. And this is what I always wanted to see. And they got to do that. Well, and not to sound like that old guy, but it really like the iPhone came out the year my son was born. So mm -hmm. the iPhone came out in 2008 and it's not to say that there weren't digital cameras. There were, and there were digital websites where people posted pictures, but not like Instagram. No. Right. I mean, so, so 2008, let's just say 2000, right. 23 years ago. You could make movies and you could rent movies and you could rent DVDs, right? And you could own those things and watch them again and again. But what we have now with the internet and all of the internet being available in our pocket and the same device having a camera on it that shoots HD video. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of getting people's attention. Well, look where we are with TikTok and, and influencers and the idea of holding people's attention and how much they're willing to pay attention, uh, how long they're willing to pay attention to something and the kind of things that hold their attention has evolved enormously, you know? And I think the idea in the seventies is you could have a car full of three really beautiful women just having a conversation about stuff They're like, Oh, girls don't talk are just don't talk like that. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the winking nut is like, Oh yeah, they do. Yeah. Girls talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's now that's not entertainment because the internet is full of people talking about whatever, you know, and the yeah, crazier, the better, like it's a race to try and be more shocking than the last thing. But that was definitely not always the case. And, you know, you can, it's safe to certainly say within our lifetimes, right? We're 50. So you're just talking about half a century. Mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't the case, but you don't even have to go that far back. You could, you could split the difference halfway. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that you think, oh, the air conditioning is interesting. There were a lot of things, but the things they did to entice you in, yeah, the bar was in a different place. You know, and and looking up at the big seventy five foot screen, seeing a beautiful woman with her bare legs out the car window, that was exciting. I mean, that you know, in a way that you're just kind of like, what am I looking at here? Like, yeah. And what happened? What what's what's the story? You know, we're yeah. very impatient comparatively. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, one thing that I want to talk about briefly was kind of the experience of watching this. So I I don't know where you watched this, but I couldn't find any place that had it all as just one. Yeah. So when I saw this in the theater and how, you know, they presented it, it was just one, you know, it was, it was like you were going to see a double feature Yeah, and they have the first movie and then they have trailers in the middle and they have the last uh, movie and especially seeing it in the movie theater really now, 
one thing I will say, this was kind of particularly for uh, Tarantino, but I mean, uh, Rodriguez has had a really great career too. This kind of famously flopped. People mm. just didn't really get it, you know. Um, and I, I think they were a little bit, you know, dis- I mean, I'm sure a lot disappointed, but, yeah. you know, but I remember being really hyped for this and really wanting to see it. And I couldn't talk anybody into going. And I went by myself like an afternoon and there were maybe two or three people in the theater, but it was a great experience because, you know, this is a perfect to see in the movie theater because the stuff with the dropped out frames and all that yeah. stuff really works. Yeah. You know, when you're in, 2007 i don't know if it was projected digitally or not you know mm. it was probably still a uh you know like an old time projector yeah, i guess probably. i don't know um probably but, the other thing i i didn't i just want to talk about real quick is color. oh sure mm-hmm. right so the the difference between the two films is i mean rodriguez uses a lot of what have to be filters mm-hmm. and he picked a you know both films have the have a sense of, you know, different films of different eras had kind of different chroma and development Mm -hmm. stuff. And so there's a different kind of color quality and feel to, you know, and if you have a, if you have a vintage photo app with filters on your phone, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's not just black and white. There's all different kinds of exposure and grain to the different eras of black and white filters you can use. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like Rodriguez more or less picked uh one very saturated uh and st- a choice and stuck with it that felt true to the time and then he, he he played around with it he put a lot of film scratch on it and and shifted things around a little for emphasis tarantino on the other hand kind of cycles through And at one point when we're switching from sort of part A and we're meeting the second group of girls, it is black and white. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then there's a moment where this one character who is in a cheerleading outfit for reasons that are explained, you know, in the story, uh, is at a soda machine and the other as Rosario Dawson is standing by the kind of muscle car they've been driving around in. And she puts in her coins and she presses the button. And when the soda can goes ka-chunk and, you know, it's such an iconic sound mm-hmm. right? that I guess you still get, but it really takes me back to that time, that ka-chunk of the soda mm-hmm. thing hitting the, it snaps into color. And we yeah. see that the, the color is, it emphasizes the color, right? It's so deliberate. I think it's that's such a beautiful moment in this film. We see that her cheerleading outfit is this canary yellow mm-hmm. and the soda can she's drinking is this candy apple red. And the muscle car is bright yellow with a black racing stripe. And You know what I mean? And the color is this, it's just this wonderful visual moment that is, I think the whole film is a love letter to the, um, you know, to the genre and to the era, but there Mm -hmm. are these, these pop out moments like that, that really underscore, I I understand why this thing didn't do better commercially. Um, It might've even be a little ahead of its time, 
Like sometimes you put this stuff out there and the mass audience, sometimes it just comes out on the wrong weekend. And it's as banal as that, you know? Maybe now if this had come out, maybe they'd drop it on a streaming service and maybe it would be huge, you know? Yeah, but I think that it's a little deceptive because I think it looks lowbrow and from the hip. I think both films are very carefully considered. Oh, yeah. And the pace of Rodriguez's film feels literally sloppier, uh, but faster and looser. Right. But I don't think that's, I think he's very carefully plot planning oh, yeah, stuff out. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and Tarantino's is a slower pace thing, so I think you see those choices more because he just lavishes in them you know he's just that's really the whole point of that thing and then mm -hmm. when things are pulse quickening so i want to i want to talk about i want to talk a little bit about the violence in it and i want to talk about the mini trailers as well yeah, yeah because that first scene in tarantino's movie where the the gratuitous violence happens and the first three women are killed it's so shocking right and it's it's really going to stay with me mm -hmm. you know and it, it's it reminded me a little bit of the kind of thing that Raimi does but when Raimi does it there's a kind of a gleeful giggle to it yeah like there's a like, oh, when we were kids and we took a magnifying glass and we melted our G.I. Joe's, you know, this is kind of like, oh, so mm -hmm. right. I didn't feel that in Tarantino's thing no. at all. I felt like it was a uh it was a it was a slap in the face and a kick in the groin and then a punch in the throat. Mm -hmm. Like wham, wham, wham. it was just like you know, and I think I felt like, oh, that whole first thing is lulling you into this to really falling in love with these women and feeling like you're in the car with them and you're the fourth friend. Mm -hmm. And then he butchers them. It, the the one of the women, the one that there's two, two, one goes through the windshield and that's really upsetting. And one has her leg lolling out the window. And so when they collide it severs her right leg and we see mm -hmm. the leg fly out in the road and it really looks like a human leg. I don't know how they did that. You <laughs> yeah. see the meat and the whole buildup of this has been idealizing, you know, these women's bodies and mm -hmm. their, again, their legs and their butts and it's this bare leg and it gets severed right at the hip. So there's still part of the glute there and it's just... It's it's literally taking taking apart the Barbie doll that you've been idealizing and mm -hmm. then tossing the leg as a point out in the road. But it it really looks like a freshly severed human leg. I have no idea how he did that. Like the way the flesh and the meat on the leg jiggle when it hits the ground. I can still see it. It's really yeah. upsetting. And then the third one, somehow his car kind of goes over their car. And one of the wheels kind of oh, shears yeah. shears her face off like she's in the back seat, and the wheel just kind of goes. And that was just unreal. Oh my god, it's really upsetting. It's really upsetting. And I I wanted to I wanted to start with that and mention that because these 
three trailers were variously they they touched on sort of four different cardinal points of this genre right you have the machete trailer that went that he went and made a movie yeah that's the only one that that was actually he made two movies that's the only one that and again i would have you seen either of those i think i saw i think i i skimmed through machete i I thought oh i'll check it out it's much better as a trailer than a film you know yeah i mean Um, it's it's like if you okay how are we going to milk this out into a movie that's what it feels like um but but it's it has a lot of fun with the latin flair and it's got uh, Cheech Marin is a priest in it with mm-hmm. two shotguns. I mean, it's just a, it was baloney. Yeah, but you know, and he's he's double crossed by the government. <laughs> As a trailer, it's great. It's you're really just like, I want to see that. You yeah, know? it's really yeah. fun. But I think it's all it's actually the tamest of the four. Um, and then you have Werewolf Women of the SS, which is a that Rob Zombie. That's a Rob Zombie one. Yeah, and I would argue to say i haven't seen everything that rob zombie's done but it's probably the best thing that he ever did i'm not a big fan you know of his movies but it's really funny yeah it it is utterly incoherent that's what i'll say is um it chimes all the right notes the title is amazing right i mean that really feels like yeah an exploitation flick you know just talk about you know get people in on the the poster for that i can imagine it in my mind um, the trailer is a full, uh, you know, it's full of like bare titties and mm-hmm. women with wolf heads. And yeah. I mean, it's just bonkers, but you can't, I mean, the, it, nothing, <clears throat> nothing happens in it. It doesn't outline right. any story like the Machete trailer outlines a plot. Like it's the story yeah. of a man double crossed by a, you know, it, it, it's, but Werewolf Women of the SS is nothing more than that great title. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, here are, you know, half-clad werewolf women in Nazi uniforms. And so mm-hmm. there's a bunch of sig heiling and sort of shooting machine guns and werewolves yowling and blood splattering and people jumping and some some BDSM stuff that you'd expect with an exploitation Nazi movie. But there's it's utterly incoherent. There's no... Mm-hmm. You're like, this is a movie about the werewolf women of the, and you're like, yeah, I read the title, right? <laughs> I thought it was a really, it was a missed opportunity because you could have layered in some really silly storyline and had fun playing with that. I don't know. And then, and, and the thing is, I, this one, like Machete is, if they actually made this film, it probably wouldn't work, you know? No. Um, because you'd you'd have to try to make a ninety minute, you know, and it would just be silly, probably. And I mean, not be, that the trailer isn't silly, but it would be super boring for the yeah. entire first half, and then maybe you'd get lucky and you'd have some thrilling scenes once all hell breaks loose, right? Maybe <laughs> if you don't yeah. lose the audience before then. So then the other two, and I don't know the order these things win, and the other two are called Don't and Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. So it, Thanksgiving, I think I. I want to say don't was the last one, but I'm not sure. But Thanksgiving was directed by Eli Roth. And they announced sometime in the last few months that he's actually going to make this. So it's going to be an actual movie. <laughs> it's um uh it 
so don't i'm gonna just start with don't don't is a kind of a one-line gag is like if you think of going and did you know who the director house? is on that one i don't no. think it says it's um uh shoot who's the guy who did like hot fuzz and and uh oh that's I funny i don't remember yeah. his name um you know hot fuzz and and uh Shaun of the dead and it, it's people. uh it's just that one line gag, you know, if you, th if you think of going in this house, don't something horrible happens, right? If you yeah. think of opening that door, don't. And so it just goes down all the horror things. It's like, yeah, well, don't split up, right? <laughs> don't go in the basement. Like, it's yeah. like, come on. You're, it's like you're, and so the whole thing is this kind of haunted house thing where till the end, it just goes, don't, 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 don't. And there's all these flashes of like these horrible things. And I thought that was kind of funny. I'm like, that one's yeah. really funny. I, I think it's hilarious. And the, uh, the, the, when they go in the basement and it's like the big man baby, yeah. that's Nick Frost. Oh, there you go. So, but there's uh, some I don't upsetting think Simon stuff Pegg in, it. Is in it anymore. What's that? There, there's some upsetting stuff in it. There's some really fast cuts and they're like people with their eyes ripped out. And, you know, mm -hmm. so you're like, oh, oh, it is happening so fast that you're just getting these flashes of these upsetting images rapid fire and it kind of triggers you know, it triggers your animal yeah. brain. You're just like, oh, oh uh, right. Now, Thanksgiving starts silly, right? Because it feels like the Thanksgiving murderer. And you're like, okay. You know, I mean, that's ridiculous. You don't, you, we've seen the horror movie at Christmas uh, mm -hmm. and the horror movie at Halloween. This is the horror movie at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, and so it's, there's a lot of decapitation that look like, you know, mannequin heads that somebody spent a little time dressing up, but by the end of it, it's a home invasion at a Thanksgiving dinner. And it does these fast little cutaway scenes where you see stuff happening. And some of those, some of those, I might, they were really upsetting to me. Some yeah. of them. It's uh, pretty like, gross. It's pretty gross. It's not just that it's gross. It's like somebody has been murdered and trussed up like a turkey in one point, but it doesn't spend a lot of time on that shot. You There's just enough time for you to register it, right? And he's got mm -hmm. the whole family like tied up around the table. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I, I was just like, <laughs> people are like, oh, I can't wait for this movie. I'm like, I can. I <laughs> I'm going to pass. Like if that's where it goes. I don't Eli like Roth is the uh is the boyfriend in it where his head wow. it's like Damn. he and the girl are making out in the yeah. convertible and like his head falls off because it's got and then the you have the cheerleader where she's like jumping on the yes. trampoline and she jumps up and does a split yeah. in the air and then a knife a big like yeah. the, and so yeah. and she lands on it and screams and it cuts away at that moment. We just hear the scream. But it that's the most so there's a lot of sex and a lot of violence in all of these, but that's yeah. the one that most closely marries the, you know, the, the sex and violence, the penetration of the knife being a sexual act. And yeah, I've also found that stuff really upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and we saw a bit of that with Kurt Russell in um, death proof that he, like a psychopath would it's like he why is he doing this and there's a cop that's in texas that sort of speculates i think it's probably the only way he can get off 
you know, I think mm-hmm. this is why would he do such a thing? I think that's just the only way he knows he can get off. So he does take a kind of, we don't see him like pleasuring himself or anything, but we, we, he does seem to take a, a specifically, um, he, he seems to get off on it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's why he's doing it. Um, yeah. what he's doing is so cruel and senseless otherwise mm-hmm. that, that, that he, it just seems to be something that gives him real deep level pleasure. Um, but the violence is not sexualized in the way that it isn't Thanksgiving. Ugh, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> With the Kurt Russell character. I mean, it's an interesting serial killer that, you know, is killing people you know, with the car in an interesting way, you know, but there's no why, right? It doesn't no. go. Do, we don't. We he has a whole monologue or two about what he's a stunt man and explains the car, but we don't know anything about this guy or why he's just a. I mean, I can understand why people see it as lesser Tarantino, um, but I I don't think it's worth utterly discarding. You know, I think I think you get to see a lot of his craft and and him doing oh yeah, what he loves about filmmaking in it, and I don't regret watching it. What do you think of the ending of Death Proof compared to the rest of it? Did you feel like the ending was satisfying? I think it's I I think it's a just it just lets us all off the hook. Mm-hmm. You know, the bad man who did the bad things to the nice girls in the beginning. Yeah. Gets what's coming to him. And and to the point even where they shoot him, and from that point on, he's on the defensive, and he's even sobbing. He's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, right? And that, and then there's just this protracted scene where they're ha- roundhouse, they're just slamming him in the face, and they're just basically, this is what happens to bad guys like you. So they get the, you know, yeah, ass beat out of him. And then that's just the end of the movie. And so what that says to me is like, well, that was the point of this film. Right. Um, Bad guy does gratuitous bad things. We don't like it, but we can't stop watching. Looks like bad guy's going to do it again, but they flip the tables and not only did the girls survive, they stopped the bad guy. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't, I mean, it felt a little bit like a cop out, but it just felt like, the literally shortest, easiest way to tie off the film. Cause then it just goes the end. (laughs) Yeah. It it doesn't even. (laughs) Well, and that was another thing that plays into not even just, um, exploitation films of this era, but, but that's something that is a big difference in, uh, films from that time. Um, and movies today where there were, uh, you watch a lot of older films and they just end. They just, end. there's not, you know, there's not, right. uh, you know, the, uh, it's like whatever the bad guys defeated or whatever. And that's the end of the movie. It doesn't no, come back. Right. There's no part two. There's no setup for a sequel. It's like, yeah, he's right behind you. Oh, you got him. Oh, thank goodness. The end. But there's no, yeah, there's no scene showing you, you know, what's going on with the characters now. And, and that's a big difference between, yes, you know, movies, movies today just don't abruptly end like that anymore. No, there's, there's often a second ending and sometimes even a third ending. Yeah. And at the, at the end end of it all, if they don't set up a sequel, 
which they often at least leave open, um, they kind of ease you back. You know, there's a scene where it's kind of like, oh, well, okay, let's all catch our breath. Mm -hmm. And looks like things are going to be happy from now on. So you good? You got your popcorn? Okay. All right. Thanks for coming. Uh, good night, everybody. You know? Um, yeah. And I, I think that's a, I don't know when that came about, but that's definitely not something that was done in at this period that blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Whatever. So. Yeah. Yeah. So would you recommend this to people? Yeah, I mean, I I would like I said at the time I was a big big fan of this. Um I don't know revisiting it as if it if it holds up quite as well as as what I had remembered it, but I still think it's a it's a the, just the whole thing is a lot of fun. Um yeah. Again, I mean with a lot of the things maybe that we that we talk about there's a caveat of this isn't there's some people that would hate this. You know, this right. is for everybody. My mother would not like this film. Yeah, my parents would just be like well, I mean they would be really offended, but even like if you got them to watch the whole thing they'd just be like that was weird, you know. Yeah. Um so, you know, this is is made for people who are into these kind of genre films. Yeah. Uh I, I would say they don't they don't pull their punches, mm-hmm. you know, and we're recording this at a time where there was just these incredible, devastating earthquakes in Turkey. And it's tens of thousands of people that we're discovering and still more as they, you know, so there's a part of me. It's never really been my genre, mm-hmm. um, real horror, real exploitative horror. Um. But I feel like watching this now, there's a part of me that just has sort of less tolerance for it because I'm like, you know, it's one thing when everything seems kind of simmering and your fears are in, and this is catharsis that lets it out. But I I feel like the world right now is... Uh, it's like a raw nerve with the pandemic. I feel like a raw nerve. I just feel like you don't have to look far to look at some real tragedy. Oh, um, yeah. And so watching a movie where there's kind of gratuitous stuff like this, you know, it didn't, it didn't, I mean, I, I think if you're into these, you should check it out. I'm not saying I didn't like watching these movies but i mean you know for me at this point i was kind of watching it being like man i don't need gratuitous violence like there's mm-hmm. just so much violence and death everywhere in my news feed and i'm like yeah i'm 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 covered right i don't need any more of this this isn't making me feel better well and it's a little bit different for you having not been a person that was into these kind of movies to begin with but there's uh i don't know if theory is the right word but there's it's not uncommon i think for people who are some other podcasts that i listen to who are you know people who are big horror fans will say you know when i was younger i wanted to watch like the most and i was never like this but um uh, to a degree, but you know, it was just like, I just wanted to watch whatever was the most shocking and the most disturbing and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, as I've gotten older, I'm less and less interested in that. 
and you know, there's one thing that could be said about that is when you're young, uh, you're immortal, you know, or you think you're immortal, you you feel immortal and you don't, you don't ever really think about death. And when you're older, you're 50 years old, like us, you start, you know, you start to feel your mortality and you're maybe not, not that horror movies are like, oh, you know, they don't show death in a, in a real way. You know, they don't show the aftermath and the way the families are affected and all this kind of stuff. But, but I think, you know, you get to a point where it's like, I don't really want to be reminded of the fact that, you know, I've got maybe less, less time, you know, the, the road ahead of me is shorter than the road behind me. You know? Yes. So, yes. Uh, not to get sappy on it, but, but I, you no, know, I, no. I, I mean, that... I think as we get older, we start measuring, there's a, there's an angle from which we measure our lives in loss. Mm-hmm. You know, you start, I had a, I had a friend who was in his eighties and he got sick, but just before he got sick, I was visiting with him and I mean, he's dead now, unfortunately, but, uh, I said, how are you doing? And he's like, I'm okay. I'm like, you seem a little down. He's like, oh, all of my friends are dead. You know, it's like you, you live to this age and you just watch everyone you care about, you know, pass away and my grandfather lived, to be... lived longer, but what's the, like, none of my friends have. So my grandfather lived to be a hundred he died in 2012. And I remember talking to him about, he went, uh, a couple of times he went to school reunions, but also like he kind of stayed in touch with people and, you know, he would just be like, you know, it'd be like, well, there's only three left from my graduating mm-hmm. class or whatever, you know? And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I also think in a way, um, in the, not the violence aspect, but also, you know, when you're 13, 14, 16 or whatever, and you're watching these movies like this and it's like, oh, you know, there's boobs in this or whatever. And not that I don't want to see attractive women and I have a problem with, with nudity or anything like that, but it's like, Back then you were th- like, I'll watch some of these, like, uh, you know, some of these movies and I'll think like, that's somebody's daughter. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, I don't know. Um, and even like watching, you know, going back and watching the eighties ones, it's just sort of like, oh, I could, I'm like old enough to be that girl's father, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of weird. you know? Yeah. I mean, if- Horrible stuff happens. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I I mean, I would definitely, all that said, I would definitely recommend, and especially if you can, if you can do it in a way where you just kind of watch it all together, you know? Yeah. I Um, think that was the design. It was completely. I think if you're able, and again, I wasn't able to find it. I tried to recreate it. I streamed one and then I watched the trailers and then I streamed the other to try and recreate what the theater now with planet terror. I don't know if your copy of it was this way, but what I watched it on, they showed the, they started the movie and they said, uh, preview of coming attractions. And they showed the trailer for machete before they started planet terror. Oh, I don't remember honestly. Yeah. I watched it on, it was like plex or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember. Honestly, I have seen the machete trailer. Yeah. A couple of times, but 
anyway, I, I do think that if you can, you know, if you want to sit down and treat yourself to a double feature, that's the way to do this. Right. They are sister films, you know. Yeah. It's very clearly the same assignment that they agreed on. And they have two different, very different interpretations of it. I think that the Planet Terror is the more exciting of the two films. Yeah. You know, the second one is almost an art film, really. It's almost. If you just want to watch something fun with beers with friends or whatever, Planet Terror is the one to watch. I agree. In in that, you know, so. I would recommend it too, with the major caveat that's you got to be. You know, but this thing is not false advertising. I mean, it's like grindhouse. And just so if you're like, oh, that sounds great. I think you'll really enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, again, it. I mean, I it delivers it on what it. It delivers. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It delivers to the degree that I was even, I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's really, <laughs> I appreciate it, but it's not my flavor. Yeah. Um, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That's our handle. We're on the socials. We're on YouTube's. We're on your favorite podcast app. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, like subscribe, leave a message, engage, engage. I've started watching, uh, Picard season oh. two. Not great. Oh, um, that's a shame. I mean, it's okay. It's the writing. Hmm. Everybody's acting their pants off, right? But it's the writing that just feels a little stale. And they just came out with Picard season three. You know, mm. Patrick Stewart, I love Patrick Stewart, but he is not a young man anymore. No, he's getting pretty old. You know, and it's uh, he's getting around as well as he can, but you're just like, oh, yikes. Speaking of Picard makes me think of sci-fi. We haven't talked about what we want to do next, and and I don't really have any concrete ideas, but maybe we could look for something sci-fi for this next one. Sure. Let's do something uh, science fictional. Yeah. So we don't know what it'll be, but get your space equipment out for whatever we do next time. Uh, cool. Anything else you would like to add before we wrap it up for this episode? I don't think so. Alrighty then folks, Chris and I will talk to you next week.